standing on the platform of truth. Pioneer Health and Missions. We are taking a look at Bible evidence, particularly evidence to help us believe in the Bible. Has God provided evidence that verifies and confirms His Word? I'm going to look at it in a somewhat scientific way. I'm not a scientist, but I want to look at it as if I were a scientist. I want to look at what the Bible says and then make predictions based upon what the Bible says. What should we see? What should we expect to find? What evidence should there be if what the Bible says is true? And let's see if we can find such evidence. So I want to begin. Let's take a look at some of the observations we make. Today we're going to look at the subject of the flood. The account we found, we find in Genesis chapter 7 and 8. We're going to look at some of the observations we make in those chapters. And then we're going to make some predictions based upon what we should find if that is indeed what occurred. Our first observation is found in the 11th verse of chapter 7. It tells us, first of all, that the fountains of the great deep broke open. In verse 11, it says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the seventh, 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. This is one thing the Bible tells us very clearly in regard to the flood. It speaks of a source of water called the fountains of the great deep. Now, we know that there is something called the deep. The oceans or waters that cover the surface of the earth are called the deep. But there is another place in the Bible called the great deep, which is beneath those waters, beneath the surface of the earth. The fountains of those waters were said to have been broken up. Secondly, in the 19th verse of this same chapter, it says, and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Which tells us the whole surface of the earth was covered with water. Even the very high hills or mountains as we know them. Thirdly, verses 21 to 23, it tells us, we'll read verse 21. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl, bird, and of cattle, and of beast, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, and every man. So there was massive destruction. Plant life, animal life, the life of man, all died. That is all that were on the land. It doesn't say anything about the sea creatures. And the last observation we make is found in both chapters, uh, verse 6 of this same chapter and chapter, chapter 8, verse 13. It tells us that this whole event lasted a year. Now, this might not seem significant, but it is important. And with all of these observations, I want us to, well, I'm going to make the following predictions. And then we're going to look at the evidence we have in this world and see what it testifies. 
our first prediction is we would expect there to be what? Global erosion. Whenever there's a flood, there is erosion. Now, this was not a local flood. This was a worldwide global flood. We should expect there to be global, that is worldwide, erosion everywhere, on every continent, every island. We would expect Earth's crust, the fountains of the great deep, were broken open. So we should expect to find that the crust of the Earth, the surface of the Earth, will be cracked in multiple places, globally, not just in one location, but globally. Thirdly, we would expect to find global sedimentary layering. Why? Because it tells us this event lasted a whole year. The fountains of the deep were broken open, rock was, would have been pulverized, and all that sedimentary mud would have been mixed with the water, and it would have sat for a year, which tells us it would have layered, just as water does mixed with mud in a jar. In one year, you would have expected to see this type of layering, and it would be global. Fourthly, all those that died, we would find the remains mixed in among those layers. Fossils within those layers on a worldwide scale, globally. And lastly, we would expect, because this was such a dramatic event, perhaps the event in human history, aside from the creation itself. So we would expect there to be accounts, stories in regard to the flood around the world. And we would also expect to find that the earliest, the earliest known accounts of these would contain the most facts. So the earliest record we can find which should contain the most or that which would accord closest to the word of God and to the record we find in the book of Genesis. So these are the predictions we can make based upon the observations of the statements made in the Genesis account. So now I want us to look at the actual evidence that we find on the world and on a global scale and see if it accords with it. So let's begin. Let's look at the evidence we find of global erosion. Is there global erosion? Do we see evidence of it? Now, I'm not claiming to be a geologist, someone who goes around and studies erosion, but I'm going to show you some of the evidence that I find. And all of these things are going to be taken from Google Earth. I haven't had opportunity to travel the world, but I do have Google Earth. And anyone who does can, in a digital way, transverse the whole world. And look at the evidence they're presented, given to us by the many satellites we have and the imagery that has been given to us. So let's take a look at some of that. And I'm going to start close to home for me. Not far from where I lived, there was a place called the Royal Gorge. It contains one of the highest, if not the highest, suspension bridge over one of the deepest gorges. Now, it doesn't look like much. And I've started with some of the minor evidences. Now, this was not far from where I lived. This is located about 15, 20 miles from where I grew up. Yeah, seven miles. Thank you, Mother. The second, a little further away, not far from Gunnison, Colorado, 
from the Blue Mesa Dam. It's called the Black Canyon. It's also in Colorado, and I've driven by it and seen it many a time. I used to live not far from there. This is a little larger, and it's quite spectacular. The next one is a little further south. It's in the country of Peru. Two great canyons or gorges exist there, one called the Colca and the other the Cotahuasi. And these are deep gorges not far from the coast in the, the dry region of the Andes Mountains, the lower Andes Mountains, one of the, some of the deepest gorges on the earth. And then we have some over in Europe. This is a picture of the Alps bordering Switzerland and Italy. And we have some very spectacular scenes of these massive mountains with deep valleys and gorges just all over the range of the Alps. It's some of the most spectacular mountain range in the world for this type of erosion that we see. And lastly, you have the most colossal of canyons and the gargantuan of gorges, the Grand Canyon. And if you have not been there, if you have not seen it, do so. It is the most spectacular evidence that we have for erosion. If you've never seen erosion and what erosion looks like, you need to go to the Grand Canyon. It is erosion on such a scale that is almost incomprehensible to imagine. And it extends all the way from the southern portion of Utah into the northern portion of Arizona, hundreds and hundreds of square miles. It is massive. This is a picture from the northeast, looking to where the gorge or the Grand Canyon actually begins. And you can kind of get a glimpse of the massive scale of it, even though it doesn't really portray it as it is when you're there and you see it, when you're this tiny little speck in this huge, massive canyon, network of canyons, I should say. This is a picture looking at it from the western end of the Grand Canyon toward the northeast. And you can see some of the immensity of it. I don't know the exact length of it, but it's very long. Uh, this is a closer picture toward the central region of the Grand Canyon. And getting even closer, as if you were looking over the visitor center, this is the site to some degree that awaits you when you see it. It's almost incomprehensible until you actually are there. I had seen pictures of it growing up seen video, but when I walked there for the first time, and it was early in the morning, and I saw the sun breaking over this site, it took my breath away, literally. I was speechless. It was just such a sight. And if there were ever a case for erosion on a massive scale, the Grand Canyon is it. But we don't find it, as you've noticed, just on one continent. I've shown it on Europe, I've shown it on South America, there are examples of this in Asia, all over the world. And unfortunately, I don't have the opportunity or the time to be able to show all that evidence to you. 
This is a video taken from within Google Earth. Just giving you some examples of what it is actually like, somewhat, to be there. It's only about 40 seconds long. Now, I have actually hiked in to the Grand Canyon and back out again. It's done, almost. The last one was down from inside. And when you're actually down there at the Colorado River and you look up, it's, well, it takes your breath away. It causes you to think about what could have caused such massive, catastrophic erosion. So we see evidence, strong evidence of global erosion. But what about global cracking of the crust? What evidence do we find of this? Well, I want to show you a little bit of the evidence that we have in land and sea around the globe. The first is perhaps the most notable. This is a picture of what is known as the Mid-Atlantic Ridge. And you may not be able to see it very clearly. I'm going to highlight it for you. There it is. It stretches from north to south. And it's a ridge because it is where the earth the crust of the earth was split open, and it formed a ridge as it bulged outward. And it's called the Mid-Atlantic Ridge. There is also evidence of this. You find these same ridges, the same cracked crust, within the Indian Ocean. And you can't see them very well, but I will highlight them here. All over. And perhaps the most spectacular of all is in the Pacific Ocean it would light up yellow if I were to do it. It's the ring of fire. Perhaps 95% of the volcanic activity centers around this ring of fire, which stretches from South America up into North America, across Alaska, over into Asia, down into the islands of Indonesia, uh, Papua New Guinea, and New Zealand, all over. It's this huge ring including Hawaii and all the Pacific Islands, are in this ring of fire. And the earth is literally cracked like a shattered potter's vessel all throughout the Pacific Ocean. We indeed find global cracking, but not only in the sea. If you go to the land, you find some of those spectacular fault lines. Up in North America and Alaska, you have the Denali Fault and the Aleutian Trench. Perhaps one of the greatest dangers for earthquakes in North America, aside from number two, or tied with it, the San Andreas Fault, which long, runs along the southwestern portion of California. So we have evidence of this on the North American continent, but there are evidences of this all over the globe, of these fault lines, the cracking of the Earth's crust. Is there evidence that the fountains of the great deep did break open? Absolutely. So, what about layering on a global scale? Now, I, I could literally show you hundreds of pictures, but I selected a few from all over. Asia, South America, North America, and Africa. Just so you can get an idea. And I just threw them in there for you. There it is. 
Northwest, again, you can see the, the Grand Canyon, which I picked from North America. But all over, you see this layering of sedimentary rock, just what you would expect, where the earth has been ground and pulverized by water and then let to settle for a whole year. This is what you would expect to find. So, what about global fossils? Do we find fossils all over the earth? I'm just going to show you a few here. Just some examples of the many, many, hundreds and if not thousands that you could find. We have fossils, literally graveyards of bones of different creatures, broken, torn apart, and all thrown together all over the world. Not only of creatures, but we have tremendous amount of fossils of plant life which helps also understand why we have these massive reservoirs of coal and oil in our world. There was a lot of plant and animal life that died in that cataclysm. And this is just a few of them. You have animals and plants here. But more than this, some of the grandest plants, things that are, to me, stick out like sore thumbs. Sorry for the pun. But you have literally trees buried alive, buried in these layers, sometimes many layers, dozens of layers, massive trees, some smaller. I have examples here of hardwood trees. I even have a bamboo buried in these sedimentary, supposedly billions of year old rock layers. And it's hard for me to imagine how a tree can last a billion years to be buried. But these are just a number of them that you can see. So we, do we have evidence of globalized fossils? And these are found on every continent all over the globe. I picked them from all over. So what about our, our last prediction? We've seen everything so far. But what about global flood stories? Do we have evidence do we have a written record or oral records of a flood? Well, let's see what we find. And I'm going to summarize it, then I'm going to show you a little bit of the evidence. So we find, in fact, nearly 300 flood accounts. That's just those we know. They span every continent and all people. So that's the summary. Now I want to show you a little chart. This is taken out of a, a book. It's called The Deluge Story in Stone. But in that book, there's a little chart regarding the flood story as found in the book of Genesis, chapter 7 and 8. And which of these flood stories contain which of those details? And you'll notice the earliest or oldest of these stories are located on the left. I guess you'd say the more modern cultures progress to the right as we know them. But you'll notice the first, which is called the Babylonian or Assyrian account, contains every detail as given to us in the book of Genesis is recorded in the Assyrian flood record. I'm not going to go over all these different peoples and all the different details. Some have more, some have less, but all of them have a number of those details, just as we would expect to find. And here is a list of all those mentioned in this 
the little diagram that I showed you. All over the world, every continent is listed here. Now, I didn't list the individual people groups, just the larger people groups and areas. And you can see just how worldwide it is. North America, South America, Asia, Africa, the islands, everywhere there are flood records, flood stories. Some containing most, one or two containing all, and some just a few. And the most impressive, the most ancient, as I mentioned, the Babylonian Assyrian record. It's found in the Epic of Gilgamesh. And in that epic, it contains all the details, different names, different location, but the same event with the same details. And what is intriguing about it is that according to secular historians, the first record of it was most likely written between 2100 and 1900 BC. Now that's old. That's around the time of Abraham and just before him. So that gives you an idea of just how ancient that Babylonian record is. Now we know that around the time of Abraham, these things were still very clear in their minds. For Moses came some 400 years later, and he wrote the account. So it must have been even much clearer in the mind of his forefather, Abraham. And at that time, the Assyrian record and the Babylonian record was written, the Epic of Gilgamesh. And the earliest copy that exists, as I have an image of it here, it's a portion of it, is from 1200 B.C., so not far distant from when it was originally written. When you look at a lot of the secular historians, it's not uncommon for the, the earliest record that we have or manuscript of that history to be anywhere from 500 to 1,500 years after the author. That's not uncommon. So don't be surprised when you see that. This is well within the acceptable range. So we have all this evidence presented. God has not left himself without witnesses of what took place. In fact, the greatest witness, as I've shown, is the earth itself. If you asked me if you could have one witness as to whether there was a flood, I would just say, look around you. The earth is that witness. And everything you see on it, all the evidence you see, testifies to this fact. The people on it, its topography, geography, everything about it screams that the Bible is true. The question is, who's listening? The evidence is there. And all I'm sharing today is just a smattering of what is out there. It's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much evidence today especially in our modern era where we have the internet and such availability. Libraries in every city, small and great. The evidence, the information is at our fingertips. But what are we doing with it? Are we seeking to present the word of God to people? To share with, with them the validity of what he has testified concerning himself? Concerning the wages of sin? and the gift of God in redemption? 
are we sharing these precious stories with people and helping them, encouraging them to believe in what the Bible says and not touting it as some myth or fable or just a good book? It's so much more. I want to leave us with a thought, a moral to this whole story. It's taken from one of the epistles to Peter, chapter 3. I want to read the words of Peter and draw a lesson for us, one that I believe comes close to home and should come close to every home. The Apostle Peter, in 2 Peter 3, verses 3 through 9, wrote the following. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And I'm sure all of us have either heard that or said it ourselves at one time. But Peter continues, For this they willingly are ignorant of. Willingly ignorant. They're ignorant on purpose. They choose to be ignorant. They choose to ignore the facts. They choose to ignore the evidence. Everything that presents itself to their eyes, they choose to ignore. You see, it's a willing ignorance that Peter is here addressing. This they are willingly ignorant of. What are they ignorant of? The very things that I shared with you today. For said Peter, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, that is, they were made, created by the word of God, and the earth standing out of the water, and yet in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water, global flood, perished. This they're willingly ignorant of. Continues Peter. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store. Hmm. You mean they're being held in reserve for something else? What does Peter say? Reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Beloved, says Peter, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And all that Peter means by that is time is irrelevant with God. Don't be concerned that it's been so long since this or that event. God works according to his own time. A thousand years is to him as one day, and one day is a thousand years. It matters not, for God's purpose will be done. When he said it will be done. Peter continues, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What is the great lesson of the flood and of the judgment to come? Only that God is not willing that you should perish. God suffered long and suffers long with the wickedness of men. For some 4,000 years after the flood, God has been pleading with the human race. 
God is not willing that any should perish. And he's left all of these records on record that we might know his unwillingness, his desire that we might come to repentance and be saved from our sins, saved from destruction to come. The great lesson that we find in the evidence of the flood is God's unwillingness for sinners to perish. But though he be unwilling, it will come. Judgment will come. God is just. He will not allow the wickedness of men to pass unpunished. Nor will he allow the good deeds and the righteousness of men to go unrewarded. God is good. And God loves those for whom he gave his only begotten son. He loves you. And he loves everyone around you. And he wants you to share his love with them. He wants you to open his word and show them the evidence of his love, both in the written word and in the world around you. For it is his witness too, as we have seen. And as we go forward in this series, we will see more and more that there are many witnesses testifying in this world of God's love, of God's judgment, and of his mercy and forgiveness. Won't you give your heart to him today? Shall we close in a word of prayer? Father, I pray that thou wilt open our eyes, anoint our eyes with heavenly eyes, that we may see if we are blind, if we are closing our ears or our eyes or our hearts, open them to the precious and glorious light from heaven that the knowledge of thy love and mercy and forgiveness may flood our souls and peace may come to us. I pray thy blessing rest upon us and upon the reading of thy word. Be with us, I pray. May thy spirit work upon our hearts and bring thy word to pass, that it bear fruit in each of our lives. To thy honor and glory is my prayer. For I ask in Jesus' precious name, amen. Standing on the Platform of Truth Pioneer Health and Missions